All right, and that will bring us to our fourth speaker to conclude today's uh, symposium, and that will be uh, Mamadou Niang. He was born and raised in Senegal, West Africa. He discovered a passion for statecraft and international affairs while traveling abroad and learning about different cultures. As a student, he served as the Student Government Association president and participated in the Oxford Summer Program, where he spent a month researching <clears throat> about terrorism and good governance in North Africa. His paper, Terror, The Terrorist Threat in Mali and the Sahel Region, and as he sta started doing his research on Libya last year, began to learn about Gaddafi's relationship with the Tuareg rebel group in Mali. The paper addresses the coalition of Islamist extremist groups and the Tuareg re rebels and its impact on security for the Sahel region and the rest of the world. Please welcome Mamadou. discussing about terrorism in Mali and the Sahel. And um, since gaining independence, for, for those of you that don't know, the Sahel region is the darker gray part that stands across from Senegal, Mauritania, Mali, Niger, Chad, and Sudan. And since gaining independence, Mali has seen greater resistance from the Tuareg rebel groups, who currently have a large presence in the northern part of the country. And um, the Tuaregs are the majority in the north, and are culturally close to North African, while over 80% of Malians are from various black ethnic groups. So the hostility between the army, almost entirely composed of black Africans from the south, and the Tuaregs, a lighter skinned group uh, related to Arabs and ancient Egyptians, goes back a long time. But the fall of the Libyan leader, Gaddafi in 2011, followed by the military coup in Mali, weakened the government and institution in that nation. In a BBC interview, the former Secretary General of the United Nations, Kofi Annan, said that the troubles of Mali were collateral damage from the conflict in Libya, because not only are weapons from Gaddafi's military and rebel forces circulating in Mali, but the soldiers from Mali that fought in Libya also returned home and other areas in the Sahel once Gaddafi died which in the end allowed the Tuareg rebels, with the help of radical groups, to almost overthrow the Malian government as they attempted to control the capital located in the southern part of the country. So as the military branched off from the government, it allowed the Tuareg rebels and other radical groups to take advantage of this situation. And they formed a stronger and more legitimate force in Mali and its neighboring countries. So the countries in the Sahel that you see over there in the region are facing uncertainty as the Sahel region has now turned into a training ground for radical groups as well as a place for human, drug, and weapon trafficking. So why does the Sahel matter? In Sub-Saharan Africa, it's home of six of the world's 10 fastest growing economies. So in North Africa, North Africa possesses vast oil, and natural gas deposits. And the Sahara holds the most strategic nuclear ore and resources such as coltan, gold, copper, among many others. But despite all that, all those resources, conflict and chaos have spread throughout the continent. At the heart of this turmoil is a strategic territory, the Sahel. 
So Mali, we all know that Mali is one of the poorest countries in the world. Yet, back in the 13th century, the Malian Empire extended over much of West Africa and was extraordinarily wealthy and powerful. Ivory and gold from Mali were at the center of global trade at the time, but because of conquest and colonization, the empire weakened and lost its power, influence, and wealth. Now listen to this. We are the transition between North Africa and Africa that reaches the ocean and the forest. This gives us an important strategic position. Whoever controls Mali controls West Africa, if not the whole of Africa. That's why this region became so coveted. And this was said by Dwight Kanate from the Association of African Historians. <clears throat> and at this time, for African leaders such as Gaddafi, who President Reagan once nicknamed Mad Dog of the Middle East, he understood the importance of this region. And from the beginning of his political career as a leader, Gaddafi was opposed to foreign military presence in Africa. One of the first things he did after he came in power in 1969 was to expel the British and the US military bases in Libya itself. During Gaddafi's reign in Libya, the Tuareg problem was not even a pressing issue at this time. At that time, the threat to overthrow the Malian government was not envisaged by the Tuareg community. The Tuareg fighters gave Gaddafi regime the needed leverage to fight domestic and foreign enemies, as he did not have to use his own forces to combat them as a cover-up. So it was clear that before the fall of Gaddafi's regime, the Malian government and surrounding neighbors states were strong enough to manage, suppress, and limit the activity of the past Tuareg rebellions, aided by the French and their colonial powers. So this was due largely to Gaddafi employing most of the Tuaregs as part of his military, and even granted citizenship to some of the Tuareg community. But by March 2011, as the Arab Spring spread throughout North Africa, I'm sure you all witnessed it on TV, France and the United States decided to act. This was AFRICOM's first war. The fall of Gaddafi produced a shockwave that would be felt beyond Libya. And I quote, unfortunately, there was a not a very good handle on the 40,000 plus weapons that Qaddafi had. So quickly, over 35,000 disappeared. And that was said by Tal. And some of those weapons fell into the hands of the Libyan rebels, and they're continuing to fight in that country. And others, including anti-tank and anti-craft missiles, fell into the hands of Tuaregs, rebels, who fought alongside Qaddafi till the very end. So the heavily armed and trained Tuaregs formed a new fighting force called the National Movement for the Liberation of Azawad. And Azawad is a name that the Tuareg community controlled that area before colonialism. And they launched an offensive against the government in Bamako, which is the capital of Mali, in January of 2012. And the Tuareg and other rebel forces invaded the major cities of the northern part of Mali, took it over. But soon, the French realized the danger and the French armed forces lent their support to the Malian units. The rebel advance was stopped, and in just two weeks, the French regained the north. So why would, the, so why would the, uh, France engage in a war in Mali? Well, the answer is simple. The interests of Europeans, Americans, is to establish peace and make sure what may be the largest untapped oil reserves on the continent, known as the El Dorado of Sahel, 
which extends from Mauritania to the far left of the Sahel to Algeria and northern Mali is in good hands of sound governments and private companies. So, as radical extremist groups infiltrate rebel forces, such as the Tuareg, in Mali, the security issue is expand beyond Malian borders. As these groups become transnational terrorist forces, it puts the resources these countries in jeopardy and international order at risk. These resources cannot fall into the hands of extremists. As a result, the G5 Sahel Joint Force, a partnership among five states in Africa's Sahel region that have hard been hit, that have been hard hit by Al-Qaeda and Islamic State-linked terrorist attacks, launched its first regional operation earlier last year to drum up support for the new initiative. In its initial phase, G5 member states, which is composed of Burkina Faso, Mali, Mauritania, Niger, and Chad, will seek to improve security along their shared borders. And through improved cooperation and deployment of joint patrols to interdict the flow of terror groups and traffickers that currently cross the poorest national boundaries with ease. The force was authorized by the African Union Peace and Security Council in April of 2017, and it was strengthened even more by the adoption of the UN Security Council Resolution 2359 in June. So, it has had a strong backing of France, which currently has some 40,000 troops deployed in the region to work with regional militaries and directly engage terrorist fighters if need to be. The United States has been more hesitant to go back to back the G5, and they're pressing the members of the G5 states to more clearly articulate their broadest strategy. But ultimately, the U.S. government pledged 60 million in bilateral support to the initiative. The pledge comes from at a moment of internal policy debate in Washington over U.S. military engagement in the region. I'm, all sure, I'm sure you all know, following an ambush on October 4th by extremist fighters in Niger that killed four U.S. soldiers just miles from Niger's border with Mali, as you can see. So, throughout the Sahel, the complex web of transnational criminal networks and militant groups thrives in an environment of weak states, forest borders, and humanitarian crisis. So as General Thomas D. Walhorse of the United States Marine Corps recently noted, in Africa, all the challenges of the youth bulge, poverty, the lack of governance, wide open spaces, these are areas where violent extremist organizations like ISIS or like Al-Qaeda thrive. The Sahel drew international attention in 2012 when Al-Qaeda affiliate groups took control of key towns and territories in Mali vast northern region. So, what happened to Mali is a result of years of bad governance and a failure to tackle the grievance of northern populations from the Malian government. And given that, the Tuareg had undermined the legitimacy of the state and deepened long-standing animosity towards this government. So you have to understand that before colonization, the Tuareg community control the trade routes across the Sahara. And they played a major role in the distribution of goods 
throughout the world. But the introduction of European infrastructure, the breakup of communities, led to the loss of wealth, power for the Tuareg community. So its initial re reaction post-colonization was to regain its power by reclaiming land and resources from the newly independent hand-picked nations, in which they feel don't represent them. The Tuareg rebellion initially wanted to break away from the Malian government and create a proto-state. But as the Malian government failed to address the concerns of the North early on and failed to establish good institutions, war was inevitable. So a long simmering insurgency led by the Tuareg groups seeking greater autonomy for the country's North gained strength as Tuareg's fighters who had served as mercenaries for the Libyan government returned to Mali following the collapse of Muammar Gaddafi regime and joined the fight. So after the military coup opened up in Mali, a power vacuum in the capital happened. A coalition of Islamist extremist groups made common cause with the Tuareg insurgents to take control of the northern territory. These groups had established a strong financial base in the preceding decade through trafficking and kidnapping for ransom operations. And this was a period of time when the US was really cracking down on Al-Qaeda in the Middle East. So therefore, they moved down to the Sahara, started doing kidnapping and training in the Sahara. So they quickly sidelined the Tuareg fighters. They imposed harsh religious rules on local populations and proceeded to destroy tombs, historic mosques, and invaluable manuscripts in the ancient town of Timbuktu. So, as a result, jihadist groups have regrouped and proliferated, as you can see. Al-Qaeda and Islamic Maghreb, known as Akim, recently joined other extremist groups to form the coalition of Jamaat Nusrat al-Islam wal-Muslimin, which means a group of support of Islam and Muslims. And new groups continue to emerge, as you can see in this map, including a recent Akim spin-off, calling itself Islamic State in the Greater Sahara which is thought to be responsible for the October ambush that killed four US servicemen. So trafficking in arms, economy, in the Sahel, more than anywhere else, there is a strong link between poverty, drug trafficking, terrorism, ethnicity, land conflicts, and access to resources. What's next for the Sahel? Well, the G5 Sahel joint force cannot alone secure the Sahel. And national forces operating within their borders will still bear the greatest responsibility for eliminating the terror and trafficking threat. But the force is important, and it's the first step toward greater regional cooperation, and will address an immediate challenge of preventing fighters and traffickers from evading pursuit by slipping across national boundaries. But, <clears throat> Funding is perhaps the most immediate challenge for the G5 Sahel Joint Force. Regional actors in the Sahel region lack financial resources. Nigeria, Mali, and Burkina Faso are among the poorest countries in the world. The budget for the Regional Security Initiative is estimated at 500 million for the force's first year of operation. Only about a third of that money is currently pledged. So, as you can see, the European Union has contributed, the US has made a big contribution as well, 
And France and Germany have jointly supported the G5 force bilaterally by co-hosting meetings in Paris and Berlin and by mobilizing additional resources such as training and protection equipment. And that is why, as soon as President Macron of France got elected, he made sure to go to the Sahel and meet all those G5 members to talk about security in that region. These military initiatives are very important and vital in combating terrorism. The non-security elements need to be addressed for a more comprehensive response. And these are my final thoughts. Facing rebel groups, such as the Kin, who are known supporters of Al-Qaeda, keen to impose Sharia law in this region, is a true challenge to Western states, let alone the Saharan countries. The international community needs to pay close attention to the Sahel region and provide a strong military and intelligence support to the, force, to the forces fighting radicals. Nowadays, <coughs> it is obvious that the world is facing a war of ideologies, and the international community will suffer if it allows the radical rebel groups in Mali or in the Sahara to gain ground and influence the region. Radical Islamists, as we have seen in many cases over and over, are very quick to use religion as a pretense of their fight for freedom. Over and over again, we have seen radical groups use religion to defend its violent crimes and inhumane force of actions. That said, it is worth mentioning that the military solution is not enough to solve the problem. The options should be coupled with inclusive development policies towards poor or undeveloped areas, which are mostly situated in the north, as you have seen in the map. So furthermore, more efforts have to be made by central government to associate more Tuaregs in state institutions. I'm hopeful that in the near future, the government of Mali will be in a position to sit with moderate Tuaregs to find a peaceful solution to, to the great benefit of the country and the Sahel region. And with that, I'll take questions. I'll give you a, what the Trump administration is doing in regards to Africa as a continent.